Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. We've all made mistakes. We've all done a derp a derp. You have a bad day at work. You get kind of sloppy when you're bagging some lady's groceries and a bunch of sodas fall on the ground. They get all fizzy. You know, you personally vouch for a cannibalistic serial killer. <laughs> Rough days. Yeah. All right, Duncan. Yo! This is part two of Murdersville, USA. Our attempt to scare away the tourists. Yes. So if you already listened to part one, you know that in the 70s, there were two active serial killers in Santa Cruz working at the same time. One of them we went over last time was slightly less celebrated, but actually had a bigger body count. Mm. The one that we're going to be talking about in this episode is a real mindfuck. Yeah. And yeah. kind of literally. Ugh. Yeah. More throat. But yeah, moving on. So let's talk about everyone's favorite necrophiliac rapist cannibal psychopath, Edmund Emil Kemper III. Mm-hmm. Even though he started killing people before Herbert Mullen, you kind of have to save this guy for part two because otherwise it would be anticlimactic. Yeah. Muller was just clearly out of his mind. Kemper was out of his mind and evil. Mullen, but yes. Whatever. There's really nowhere to go from Kemper. Word. Kemper weighed 13 pounds when he was born on December 18th, 1948. That's spelled wrecked for China. <laughs> Yeah, an average baby is around seven. <laughs> I couldn't find out whether he was delivered via cesarean section, but if not, just oof. And it explains a lot of her alleged hatred of him. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> you have any idea what you did to me? What's really shocking to me is that he was the middle child between two sisters, which means that after his mother had him, she was like, let's do that again. Actually, that doesn't surprise me at all, because I'm pretty sure his sister was just born like that Monty Python episode, which is twinkie down an elevator shaft. Just... <laughs> yeah. Kemper would grow up to be six foot nine inches tall, towering over his victims and most people. Most human beings. Yeah. Unlike Herbert Mullen, Kemper had a terrible home life and exhibited antisocial behavior throughout his childhood. He was a ruthless sadist. For instance, as a teenager, he killed, tortured, and dismembered multiple cats. Including his mother's. Kemper's parents knew about this, by the way. His mother found pieces of her cat in her closet, but his parents were busy. They had their own problems. The marriage was not healthy. They fought constantly and separated in 1957 when Kemper was nine. Ed went to live with his mother, and this was probably the worst possible outcome. Kemper's mother... Where to start? <laughs> Carnell Kemper was controlling, vicious, judgmental. She was downright mean. She relentlessly mocked Kemper for his size. Again, maybe there was some justification there from past trauma, but he was over six foot four by age 15. <laughs> and she gave him hell for it. Which she seems like the rational, safe choice, you jackass. Also, like, since when is that a bad thing? Like, we like tall people and america we're pretty pro tall yeah it's like look at how handsome you are uh you handsome freak <laughs> <laughs> look at your giant penis it's embarrassing you should be embarrassed about that massive cock <laughs> funny you should mention that it's purported that kemper had a micropene that explains a lot yeah yeah especially if you're six foot nine with a small penis if you're six foot nine with a regular penis it looks ridiculous right and he had he purportedly had a micropene and he had trouble like with ed 
So uh, unless she was dead, he couldn't keep it up. He was like, the only way someone's not going to judge me for my micropene is if they're dead. I mean, he's not wrong. there are people who might not judge him for his micropene who are alive he didn't give them the chance he could have waited and then had they judged him taken the logical next step like give them the chance (laughs) my problem is timing yeah Mm -hmm. so his mother believed that maternal affection could turn a boy gay so she treated him coldly and denied him any emotional or physical intimacy this was a weirdly like prevalent parenting technique. Like you, yeah. you know how there's there was that one parenting book that was blamed for the Third Reich, like basically the one that was like treat all the kids like uh, adults and don't really give them a lot of affection and blah blah blah. I grew up in the 80s, 90s mm-hmm. and was definitely like super coddled. I was that kid who was, you know, you get a ribbon for participating, blah blah blah. That's why I take no responsibility for any of my actions and am very self-centered. But yeah, this was like beat them into being good people. Right. Deprive them of basic uh, human decency. Yeah, in order to toughen them up. You right. Know, you got to make sure that they're not Nancy boys. Right. It's Time to find the middle. No more participation awards. Yeah, no more participation trophies, but maybe don't beat them with the trophy. (laughs) You know, like there's a line. Second place. (laughs) There's a line between coddling and abuse. Creating a serial killer. Yes. Again, you can't create a serial killer. There are a lot of kids who were treated crappily and had micropenes and didn't murder everyone. I mean, aren't they called in so? Yeah, but they're still not murdering everyone. If every incel was a serial killer, oh my God, this would be a bad time. Yeah. Wait, is it a good time? (laughs) Touche. I missed some. (laughs) So his mom locked him in the basement at night, supposedly out of fear that he would molest his sisters. And let's be honest. (laughs) It's fair. It's fair. Not the worst idea. Hmm. He was already having obsessive sexual fantasies at the very least. Carnell referred to her own son as a weirdo. Which, again, not not wrong, but also not super healthy. She wasn't mother of the year, but, you know, did I mention she found pieces of her cat in her closet? He had also dismembered his sister's dolls. The list of weird behavior goes on. This is like a chicken and egg scenario, right? It's the classic nature versus nurture argument. Did his mom make him crazy? Probably not. But she didn't help. No. Yeah, this is why, you know, from the beginning I've always said it's actually both. It's the mom and the genetics. The most likely diagnosis for Carnell was borderline personality disorder. Yep. So fed up with sleeping in the basement and probably frustrated that he couldn't molest his sisters, Kemper ran away at age 14 and went to live with his father, Edmund Kemper II, Mm. in Van Nuys, California. However, he was dismayed to learn that his father had remarried and had a stepson. This did not go over great with Kemper, who was eventually sent to live with his grandparents. Surprisingly, he did not get along with his grandparents either. Which is so weird because he's gotten along with everyone up until then. Yeah, I feel like that's a good sign for his grandparents. If you're a person who gets along with Ed Kemper, that's a you problem. I mean, you're probably safer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there were people that were nice to him that he wouldn't have killed if given the opportunity. I don't know. Well, his grandfather did get him a gun. Yeah, and he killed him with it. Yeah, so being nice to him doesn't seem to work out any better than being not nice That's to him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, sociopathy. Yeah. At age 15, Kemper's grandfather went shopping, 
uh, no, his grandfather was not 15. When Kimber <laughs> was 15, his grandfather went shopping. And while he was gone, Kimber got into an argument with his grandmother. Hmm. He shot her with his grandfather's rifle and then stabbed her a little. I mean, like 18 times a little. Yeah. Again, with the post-murder stabbing. And again, you understating fucking everything. It was a mishap. How many times did you stab her? I mean, like a little. How many times? I, 24 times. I just don't understand this order of operations. It's like it's like these guys planned to use the knife, but they forgot. And then they were like, ah, better late than never. Or they were just really angry and yet afraid because they're, you know, young in their minds, if not six foot tall and like 200 pounds. So shoot them from afar, then express the anger. Yeah. Really show that corpse what's up. I mean, you are totally fine with being executed after you're dead. I don't see what the problem is with stabbing them after you've shot them. No, I mean, I don't have a moral problem with it. Ah. I have a rational problem with it. But I guess arguing rationality with Ed Kemper is... I would say a losing proposition. Yeah. <laughs> when his grandfather returned home, Kemper shot him in the driveway. He would later explain that he wanted to save his grandfather the unpleasantness of finding his dead wife. Very considerate. I mean, you know, if you're going to do it, do it nicely. You know what actually is considerate? Mm. When it comes to his victims, his grandparents were the only corpses that he didn't fuck. Again, I feel as though that's one of those sort of dubious wins uh, for being nice to him. (laughs) Better than the alternative. Low bar, but it could have been worse. Bar so low, it's kind of not even limboable. After the murder, he called his mom to ask for advice. Must have been kind of a surreal conversation. Hey, Mom. Um... Uh, Mom, I got a hypothetical for you. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> what is your stance on body fucking, Mom? I wonder or, if he asked or mutilation. Her, maybe that's why he didn't fuck these corpses, because these are the ones where his mom was like, don't fuck the corpses, babe. Babe. Yeah, she these... definitely didn't call him babe. No. Don't like, fuck the corpses, you little weirdo. You cat-killing, molesting, <laughs> fucking Freak. massive weirdo with a micropene. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. Kemper was sent to a psychiatric institution and initially diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which is what Herbert Mullen suffered from, but it quickly became clear that the diagnosis was incorrect. Yeah. As I mentioned before, I think I would argue that he was not crazy and is not crazy. He is just evil. Yeah, he's not crazy in any sort of dictionary definition. He's certifiable. He's a sociopath, but he's not crazy. So what is, from your professional opinion, how does that work? Because he's obviously crazy. So how is he also rational enough to be convicted? So this is where the legal side and the psychological side actually agree, which is it's insanity. They're both crazy. Insane, disordered killers and sociopaths are both crazy from the vernacular or from the colloquial. But one is insane, and the other one is completely cognizant, knows that there are morals being crossed here, just doesn't care. So that's why they don't use the word crazy in any of this. It's an insanity defense, because they are fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. But they may or may not be insane. Right. Kemper was also very intelligent. He Mm. scored 145 on an IQ test in the institution. He was also famously manipulative. By endearing himself to the staff, he ended up receiving special privileges, including eventually being given the task of administering psychiatric tests to other inmates. Oh, it gets better. He invented some. Great. He was allowed to write his own, and they became actual tests they used. He later claimed that this experience was beneficial because familiarizing himself with the procedures and psychological principles behind the tests allowed him to become even more skilled at manipulating psychiatrists 
and he also learned criminal techniques and strategies from the deranged criminals he interviewed. Yeah, tracks. Camper would eventually be one of the primary inspirations for the brilliant cannibalistic serial killer Hannibal Lecter in Thomas Harris's Silence of the Lambs. Indeed. Camper was released in 1969 on his 21st birthday. He was released into the care of his mother in Aptus, California, by the way, on Ord Street, about a five-minute walk from where we're sitting right now. Again, sweet. Yeah, I learn a lot from these episodes. Sometimes they're things I didn't need to know. Remember the nuclear power episode, learning that we're 150 miles from a nuclear reactor? Remember how I have anxiety? I don't need to remember. I am reminded every time we speak. This podcast was a terrible idea. <laughs> this is our final episode. Kemper spent the next few years convincing his psychiatrist that he was cured. And in 1972, his criminal record was expunged. A report from his probation psychiatrist read, quote, It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. It was at that moment that psychiatrist knew he fucked up. Side note, when he met with that particular psychiatrist, there was a severed head in his trunk. Of one of his first victims. I remember this. Like, I get being bad at your job. You know, we've all we've all made mistakes. We've all done a derp a derp. You have a bad day at work. You get kind of sloppy when you're bagging some lady's groceries and a bunch of sodas fall on the ground. They get all fizzy. You know, <laughs> you personally vouch for a cannibalistic serial killer. Rough days. Yeah. Hey. While living with his mother in Aptos, Kemper attended community college and applied to become a police officer. <sighs> but he was rejected as a result of his size. At this point, he had reached his full six foot nine. Why? Is six foot nine not a good size for a cop? I think it has to do with being able to fit in the police cars and the uniform requirements and all this stuff because they're going to have to tailor everything to him. And like you're hiring an ogre and with a micropene. I'm just going to insult him like his mom did and really rub this in because he's in jail and he can't come get me. You bitch. And then a Bedman Kemper gets out of jail deleting this episode. And move it to an undisclosed location. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's mostly because that's just so non-standard for everything that they would have to accommodate him in all kinds of weird ways. Fair enough. But he never fully gave up his dream of being a police officer, and he began frequenting a bar called The Jury Room, which was known for being a police hangout, and he befriended a bunch of local cops. Local bit of fun fact for everyone who doesn't live in Santa Cruz, The Jury Room is right across the street from the courtrooms, which is why it's called the jury room. So the That's fact right. that this lunatic was hanging out with cops not 125 yards from the place where all the judgments about him were being made, kind of creepy. The cops called him Big Ed, and they shared with him police gossip and stories of patrolling the mean streets of Santa Cruz. <laughs> you said that with a straight face. I'm pretty impressed. Meanwhile, Kemper and his mother attended family therapy sessions, learned strategies for expressing healthy forms of affection, found common ground and a grudging mutual respect, and eventually mended their relationship. Lies. That didn't happen. No. Kemper said, quote, My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. Hmm. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that his mother was on the pro-cleaning side of the argument. 
I'm not going with you on that one because he, he was a pretty smart guy and she doesn't seem to like anything about or for him. Yeah, she was a shitty mom, but I doubt she was like, no one cleans their teeth in this house. I don't see it. She's no, still a I... mom. Moms tell you to clean your damn teeth. And he seems like a total incel who probably didn't shower and definitely needed to clean his teeth. I'm going from the route of he was like, I need to get my teeth cleaned like dentally because I haven't had it done in years. And she was like, we can't afford it. I work at friggin UCSC. I can't afford it. I'm paying for your life anyway. Shmah. She worked at UCSC. She could afford a toothbrush. I would bet you a lot of money mm. that right now Ed Kemper has some stanky breath. He does not take care of himself. Okay. Kemper took a job with a road crew, moved to Alameda, then moved back home, got engaged. The whole engagement thing is a giant mystery. Mm. His supposed fiance's name has never been officially released. I was able to dig up an actual scanned copy of a Colorado Tribune newspaper article that mentions her. Mm. Quote, Kemper, 24, and his blonde girlfriend became engaged last March after meeting at a Santa Cruz beach. The girl, 17, has gone into seclusion to recover from the shock of learning that her fiancé led officers to the bodies of murder victims. Mm. 17. The laws weren't that much more lax back then. They were. Were they? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, this is where my math goes off. Okay. In the 1970s, they were banging teenagers left and right. No one cared. Hmm. That was a thing. I don't know, but I, I think so. <laughs> So, oh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you had totally had me sold for a second there. I was like, "Oh fuck!" I didn't. I thought I knew what to say. I'm not as confident about this as the Kemper breath thing, mm. but like close. 60, 40, 70, 30. Give me, give me a percentage in there. Okay. So it was around the time of this engagement that Kemper began experiencing murderous cravings, which he referred to as his quote little zapples. Ew. So he started picking up female hitchhikers. And while he fantasized about murdering them, he was initially able to restrain himself. Until the evening of May 7th, 1972. Mm -hmm. His first two murders, post-grandparents, uh, I guess these were his second two murders, but these were the first of his spree. Mm. They didn't take place in Santa Cruz. Speaking of the grandparents, side note, I actually looked this up. Okay, so this is weird, but I wanted to know what it's called when you kill your grandparents. Mm. Because there's like patricide, matricide, right. fratricide. I figured there had to be a name for grandpa side. And boy, oh boy, here's a list of names of types of killings. Ooh. There is nepoticide, the act of killing one's nephew, killing one's husband, mariticide. Mariticide? Yeah. M-A-R-I. Mm. I would have read it as mariticide. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what they were going for. But, you know, you're the English like... major, so <laughs> you do what you want with the language. I feel like meriticide should apply on either. On either end of the, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. weird that that's so gendered. Deicide, killing a god. Uh, so make-believe aside. <laughs> Episcop <laughs> Episcopicide is killing a bishop. So that's if you want to commit deicide, but can't reach. <laughs> then you can't. Don't got those hops, way, though. All the way up there. Yeah. You gotta. Target. I don't know why you're looking at me. This is your joke. Go on. <laughs> I'm trying to. You're supposed to help me with it. There's regicide, killing a ruler. Regicide, yes. Uh, tyrannicide, killing a tyrant. That's kind of judgmental. That's still regicide. It's just he's a jerk. He's a dick. Midicide is uh, killing mites. All right, now I think they're just making that shit up. Miticide <laughs> is killing mites? Okay. Uh, linguicide, intentionally causing the death of a language. Uh, I think I could be 
considered on occasion to be attempting that. You're just murdering the language? <laughs> yeah. Is what you're saying? I mean, you That's do fair. it too. We have <laughs> recorded evidence of that just a few seconds ago. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Yeah. Quite the... <laughs> little digression we went down. Quite the digression, but that was uh, interesting to me. Yeah. A lot of forms of uh, killing. More than I ever anticipated. As, almost as many as there are forms of torture. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But less singable. True. So apparently the closest for what Kemper did would be a cinicide or geronticide. Mm. Cinicide being like a senility related. Yeah, no, I got it. So he committed his first post-geronticide murders in Berkeley, California, hmm. where I have also lived. And I? This is hitting way close to home in every way. Quit following me, Kemper. Gosh. Right? Kemper picked up two hitchhiking college students from Fresno State University, Mary Ann Pesci and Anita Mary Lucessa. He was supposed to drop them off at Stanford University, but instead rerouted to a deserted area of Alameda. He strangled and stabbed both girls, and then for the first time followed what would become his standard M.O. He had sex with the bodies and dismembered them. And then continued having sex with them. With their severed heads, he performed an act that I didn't know was called Iromatio, which is oral sex in which the man does all the work. Iromatio? Hmm. Iromatio. E or I? I. I. Uh, I don't know why all these sources felt the need to specify with this term, because there is no other way to engage in oral sex with a dismembered head. With a severed head? Yes. You're doing all the work. It's not like you just... What do you? I mean, I suppose you could lay it on the ground. I'm thinking too hard about this. You're still doing all the work. Yeah. Then it's true. just your hips doing the work. That's, that's I don't want to go into this any deeper, <laughs> so to speak. I was just about to say, that's what the head said. Oh, God. <laughs> this is why we can't do... True crime, because it would just be dis a disrespectful. It would be a travesty. <laughs> we are not equipped for this. I mean, you're equipped for it. You've got a mental sensor. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you would probably enjoy it. Yeah. I, I can't. I can only do so much. Mary Pesci's skull would eventually be discovered on Loma Prieta Mountain, but no traces of Anita would ever be found. Mm. Kemper's next victim was 15-year-old dance student Aiko Koo. Mm -hmm. He picked her up in Berkeley when she was on her way to a dance class in San Francisco. She was running late and desperate for a ride. You know, be late. Yeah. Next yeah. time you're late for something, just think could be worse. There are worse things than being late. Like being irremodiated. Irremodiated. <laughs> I don't know. What... <laughs> and that's not even that bad if you're alive, I guess. Some people right. are into that. Yeah. I mean, I think... If they're alive and not dismembered and, and bleeding to death, that's kind of hot. But, you know, otherwise, well. They're already dead, by the way, after they're decapitated, just so you know. Are they? Yeah, you're not bleeding to death after you're decapitated. You're done. Huh. I thought you lived for like a couple seconds after, like some 15 seconds. Not long enough seconds. for Iromadio. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> Last episode. <laughs> Last episode ever. I quit. And I'm done. I'm out. So this time when he started driving intentionally in the wrong direction, she was on top of it. She figured that out pretty quick. The other girls, I guess they were maybe doing their own thing. I don't know how they didn't notice that he was driving to Alameda instead of freaking Stanford. But this girl noticed immediately. She was like, Whoa. no. Yeah. Koo panicked and Kemper pulled a gun. 
she started screaming and crying, but he was able to calm her down by claiming that he wasn't going to hurt her, that he just wanted to kill himself. Well, in that case. Yeah, but by all means, sir, I'm sorry for freaking out. I'm not used to guns being pulled. But if you're only going to use it on yourself, please don't get any on me. I'm I'm going to a dance class. It's hard to steam clean. We also have to remember here that the only way we know all of this is through a filter of crazy. He's going to portray things in whatever light he would like to portray them. She might have been absolutely panicked and he either saw what he wanted to see or he just told us what he wanted us to know. Right. So anyway, he drove her all the way to Bonnie Dune Road near Mm. Santa Cruz, which is a couple hours from Berkeley. This was the long drive. Yeah. And all this time he's talking to her, soothing her, trying to earn her trust. By the time he reached a deserted stretch of Bonnie Dune Road, he had been able to convince her that he genuinely was not going to harm her but that he did need to gag her. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah, at this point, all I can say is, yeah, okay. It's uh, it's one of those you had to be there situations. Clearly. And he duct taped her mouth. He then told her to climb in the back seat, and he exited the car and attempted to open the back door to join her, except he couldn't. The back door was locked. Huh. And so was the front door. And his gun and car keys were in the front seat. Mm -hmm. Oops. You know, you're a naive beginning killer or beginning-ish killer. You make mistakes. You have to learn from them. You would think that this would be a great opportunity for Aiko to drive away, but she was a young girl. Or, or, Or grab the gun, at least? When he describes it, he acts as though she trusted him, and that's why she then opened the door. Which may or may not be the case. I think she was just terrified. I think she felt like if I do what this guy says, I might live. I might live. Right. If I try to shoot him, I might miss, and then I'm toast. Mm. So we don't know. But Aiko reached out and unlocked the door. Yeah. Yeah. Kemper did what he always did. Yeah. Quote, after the murder, I'm exhausted. I'm hot and very thirsty. I stop at a bar to drink a few beers while the body is still in the trunk of my car. I almost got caught by my neighbors when I carried the corpse to my apartment. Murderer problems, man. <laughs> Murderer problems. <laughs> got 99 problems and this headless corpse is one. <laughs> or several. I mean, because dismemberment. But you know. Quote, dismembering the body required a meticulous job with a knife and an axe. That doesn't feel... If, you're, if an axe is involved, it's, <laughs> it's not, not meticulous. that meticulous. <laughs> Maybe a lumberjack can be meticulous with an axe, but I would actually just say more accurate. Quote, it took me about four hours of work. That's a long... She was a small girl. Really? Four hours. Time He's flies when guy. you're... I feel like he could have broken her up like kindling. Mm, body's pretty durable. I guess. Good for her. I'm glad she made his life difficult at least a little bit. It's the smallest fuck you you can give to the, your killer it's just to have your body be difficult especially to Especially posthumous <laughs> fuck yeah. you. Like, yeah. You've already lost, but fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. He described the aftermath over the next few days. He stored her head behind an armchair in a hermetically sealed craft paper bag. Paper bag. That's weird. You can't hermetically seal paper bags. That's what it said. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. Quote, that evening, my former probation officer comes to pay me a visit. And her head is just behind him. I did eat part of my third victim. I had cut pieces of flesh that I put in the freezer. 24 hours after having dissected it, I cooked the flesh in a pan of macaroni with onions and cheese, like a carry-on. I ate a piece of leg that I had soaked in black blood for almost a day. 
And why did I do that? In a way, I own my victim once again by eating her. Mm. Mm -hmm. Isn't this the exact uh, recipe for haggis? Uh, no. no. No? It's not uh, black blood, macaroni, onions, and cheese, and pieces of leg? You twat. <laughs> <laughs> Kemper's next victim on January 7th, 1973, was 18-year-old Cabrillo College student and hitchhiker Cynthia Shaw. Kemper shot her, brought her to his mother's house, had sex with the corpse, dismembered the body with a power saw in the bathtub. I guess he had learned his lesson with the whole axe meticulous axe situation. <laughs> he buried Cynthia's head in his mother's garden, facing the house, and later said it was because his mother, quote, always wanted people to look up to her. Uh, Serial feel, killer humor. I was going to say, I feel like there's a rim shot out there somewhere missing. Kemper was a better murderer than a comedian. Don't quit your day job, buddy. Just actually quit do, your day job. Yeah, actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore my co-host. He's an idiot. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. It was more of a hobby. He wasn't getting paid. <laughs> he was an open mic killer. <laughs> he was killing it at all the open mics. Oh, God. <laughs> Not doing much better there, Shanikins. That's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> all right, go on. At this point, all of Santa Cruz was on high alert due to the recent spate of murders. And so students were advised to only accept rides from other students. Because mm. no college student has ever committed a crime or Ethel. is sketchy at all. Mm -mm. Was the 1970s an era like before the invention of common sense? No. When was rationality discovered? Was that like 1979? <laughs> there are <laughs> arguments. Some of our episodes could be used as points in said argument that we still have not discovered mm. the era of rationality. True. Luckily for Kemper, his mother worked at UC Santa Cruz, so he was able to procure a UCSC sticker for his car. And that is super lucky. Again, I feel... Mis I said for, for Kemper, not for the <laughs> world at large. Yes. There was a caveat at least thrown in that time. Not for people and their heads. <laughs> On February 5th, following yet another argument with his mother, he went out hunting for victims. Bitch, stop arguing with your son. Right. You would save lives. I blame her now. He picked up two UCSC students, 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen Liu, on the college campus, shot them both, and you can guess. Yeah. What he... Kempered okay. them. He kempered them. Two murders to go. The next was the most disturbing and depraved. Kemper's mother went to sleep on April 20th, 1973, after returning from a party. Mm. While she slept, Kemper bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer and then slit her throat. You were talking about earlier how it was shoot and then stab, which seemed sort of overkill or like why. Mm. I feel claw hammer and then slit throat. That is, again, sort of a fucking Jesus, dude. You saw brain. At what point did you think that you need to go kosher? Like what? Yeah. And also the Iramadio, which mm. he performed with the severed head of his own mother. Yes. But after playing darts with it. Nope. He then put the head on a shelf. And yelled oh. at it for over an hour, and then used the head as a dartboard and physically abused it some more. So it went uh, claw hammer, uh, slicing of throat, decapitation, mm. iramatio, mm -hmm. uh, yelling. Mm. This is a little, this is a de-escalation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost a little passive-aggressive at that point. It's a little dick move. At yeah. that point. Then the dartboard... Uh, then abusing the head some more. I don't know how you can I even feel, abuse something. Yeah. I think all of it was 
And and I feel dartboarding is would you just lump in with the abuse? Like yeah. what is what is pretty much all of this counts as abuse. Yeah. None of it was not abuse. Uh, none of it I would classify as loving. Not even the Arimatios since <laughs> dead. I don't know if Arimatio is ever loving. It can be like part of a healthy sex play, I'm sure. Sure. But I don't know if I would call it loving. <laughs> Honey, tonight after candles and wine, I want you to lovingly and <laughs> romantically fuck my face. <laughs> According to Kemper, he, quote, smashed her face in. That was the abuse, the more physical abuse. But, I mean, didn't he do that already with the claw hammer? Or was no, that was the back her skull. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, because the face is part of the skull, Shane. No, the, the cranium. Gotcha. Then he severed her tongue and larynx and tried to grind them up in the garbage disposal. But mm. the larynx was too tough and sinewy, and the garbage disposal spat it out. <laughs> so then, of course, he went to a bar and had a drink. I mean, what do you do after getting splattered with larynx? Yeah. Kemper realized that he was potentially in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the century number eight, I feel, for this episode. So he hatched a brilliant scheme. He called his mother's friend Sarah Hallett and invited her for dinner and killed her so that he could convince people that his mother and her friend had gone on vacation together. I guess it's more believable if two older ladies spontaneously disappear. There would be less suspicion. I, yeah, serial killer logic. Yeah, yeah. Despite this supposed strategy, Kemper left a note in his mother's house that read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, quote, murderous butcher. It was quick. Asleep the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a, quote, lack of time. I got things to do. Three exclamation points. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not gonna. Yeah. That's just, I'm gonna, once again, file that under crazy and move the fuck on. Solid. Yeah. He then popped a bunch of caffeine pills, packed three guns and a ton of ammo into his car, and drove over 1,000 miles to Pueblo, Colorado. Before the police had even discovered the bodies and the note, he called them and confessed. He later said, quote, The original purpose was gone. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. Apparently, murdering people had become a real bummer. It was kind of a drag. When killing people gets to be a downer, it's just almost not worth it anymore. Almost. <laughs> yes. When decapitation's lost its fun, you're fucking losing. Thank you, Green Day. Kemper pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and testified in his own defense. He apparently came across as clear-headed and logical, while he meticulously and rationally tried to make the case that he could not possibly be sane. Once again, not a brilliant mind at work. He went up there to... Convinced the jury that he was insane and completely rationally explained all of his motivations and everything that had happened. He was found guilty on November 8th, 1973, and received sentences of seven years to life for each of the eight counts of first-degree murder. Feels like one of my roundings again. Mm -hmm. Two to 200,000. The death sentence was at the time outlawed in California, so it wasn't even an option. Uh, even though Kemper specifically requested it and was suicidal at the time, reportedly attempting to kill himself on at least two occasions. Mm. He is next eligible for parole in 2024 at age 76. It's crazy that Mullen got 
more time. Mm -hmm. I guess Mullen killed more people, but Jesus Christ, like Mullen should be in an insane asylum and just getting lots of meds and help. And Kemper should never be able to see the light of day and should be getting butt raped by his cellmate on a regular basis. I mean, if there's a cellmate that can butt rape Kemper, yeah, I kind of want to see that on pay per view <laughs> just to be like, what? I mean, you can you can you know digitize it out, you can fleck it out, whatever they do, so that I don't have to see the members. But I just want to see that taking place, just like holy shit, look at that monster! I love that you have to specify that you want his micropene pixelated. Oh no, I'm not worried about Kemper's micropene. I'm worried about Either. the dude who's raping the dude. Either peen. I just like that you're like no homo, but I want to see this guy. <laughs> get right. That raped. did seem a little suspect. That's that's. <laughs> It's true. It's no. all right. I might have outed myself there. I basically want to see huge psychopaths raped, and that's my kink. No. Oh. We all have our thing. Yeah. 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 I hope that Kemper has experienced some iramatio on the receiving end in prison. That's my only hope. If there's a God, yeah. listen to my prayer. Please fuck Ed Kemper in the face. <laughs> fuck his face. <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Please fuck at the face of it. Please to fuck at the face. <laughs> I'm your... a Mario. <laughs> I'm a gonna fuck. Was that your, like, Pope voice? Was that... Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. This is the Pope. Uh, please make a the Kemper a fuck at the face. No, I, I misspeak. I misspeak. I say, I say, how you say? Oh, yes. Uh, please, God, have Ed Kemper face a fact. Irregular. <laughs> Thank you. The Pope would Mil use the correct term. <laughs> it sounds like an Italian term. He certainly would know it. Irmatio, his fe. Mil grazie. Straight to hell. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that was our foray into the world of true crime. And I, I think it's safe to say it may be our only. <laughs> might be our last. <laughs> Simply because. Again, might be our last episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. We've, we've said that a few times. I'm, I'm pretty good at almost ending this podcast without actually doing. That's true. I think this is the breaking point when it comes to us talking about serial killers. We may do some more uh, cults and murderers and interesting things, but just serial killers to me, it's just it's being done so much with the true crime. Yeah. And probably by people who are better at it than us and way more into it. And a bit more respectful of the source material, perhaps. They're not, though. There's a lot of comedy ones. My fiance is like a huge fan of the My Favorite Murder, which I think is the mm. biggest, one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Mm. And um, one of them is a comedian, and they do actually make a lot of fun of it. And they get some shit for it, but people love it. Yeah. People, A lot of people have a really dark sense of humor these days. And true crime is so huge that you can kind of approach it from all kinds of different angles. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't need to find an angle on that. No, no, we know they exist. I've studied them. No angles. For me, it's a straight line from me to no thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Straight edge to nope. But I actually, we may do in the future some type of more true crime if we find something that's interesting. This one was particularly very relevant to us and to our location. And it was really weird for me to do this research and read about all these places. I mean, my fiance is going to Cabrillo College where Ed Kemper went and so many of his victims came from. Yeah. And, you know, we've been to the bar that he used to hang out at. We're literally five minutes from the house that he lived at where he murdered his that mom. That still exists. It's still there. Yeah. So 
That's fun. I know. I looked up the address. You can find it on Google Maps. It's just down the street. Right. Which, by the way, I would have loved to have been the fucking realtor. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Nothing bad happened here. <laughs> Don't read any newspapers ever. I know. I wonder how many people just drive slow by that house. And if you live there and don't know, you're just like, what the? Why with the side eye? <laughs> and then if you find out, yeah. I wonder if you can sue your damn realtor. Oh. I feel like they have be. to disclose some of that. Yeah. No, I know they do. Well, there's a certain amount of time. Like, after enough time has passed, you don't have to tell someone if, like, you know, if they have a Victorian, you don't have to tell them about the guy who hung himself in the 1800s. Right. Pretty sure the 70s still count. If you are a real estate agent listening to this, I would be interested, actually. What yeah, are the... Yeah, if you're an insomniac, let us know, because that's fucking oddball. Yeah. All right. So, insomniacs, please do the trifecta. Go to uh, Instagram. Uh, join us there. Uh, tell a friend. And leave a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. And forever after and ever always. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.